You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Amen. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles while the kids are making their way, and I want you to go to the book of Jonah. Um, the book of Jonah. I, I titled this message today, When Resilience Goes Wrong, When Resilience Has Gone Wrong. Um, and I, I have a request I would like. I'm, I'm going to be having some tests this week. Uh, some of it could be serious. They don't know. And uh, so I'd like at the end of the service, I'll go ahead and ask you. I would like for uh, this church to gather around me and pray for me. But, uh, and I also want to say this, I'm involved in, in uh, expanding Medicaid, uh, a lot of uh, attempts. We did a video, we did, it was, it was produced by basically one of the quality that Hollywood movies are produced with. The American Cancer Society came to the church, it's been a while back, they, they did, um, uh, they ate with us. They fellowshiped with us. I did an interview on expanding Medicaid, providing Medicaid for adults, and 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 even beyond that, I want to see Medicaid expanded into dental care for adults because a lot of times that's a critical need, especially upon, among people that may not have the financial means to carry out those things. So we're doing a lot right now. There's some things that are being done, and so I'm excited about what God's doing. But I've got a little glitch going on right now. Need your prayers. Getting ready to have some tests that are being run. Some of them are serious. So, um, you know, I don't know yet what God holds. We on Wednesday nights have been going through the minor prophets. Uh, we've looked at Hosea, Amos, Obadiah, Joel. And we, have, we begin this past Wednesday night to look at, at the book of Jonah. And as I was speaking and teaching, and all of a sudden God made it clear to me, this is not for Wednesday night, this is for Sunday morning. And because of what I'm going through right now, I really felt like I needed to be somewhere where I was comfortable in the Scripture and felt like God wanted me to spend a few weeks just looking at the book of Jonah. I love Jonah. <laughs> you know, there's certain personalities in the Bible you just love. Because you think to yourself, you know, that's me. <laughs> Peter, when you look at Peter sticking his foot in, your in his mouth, you think, you know, that's me, God. You know, so I guess in some ways I feel that way about Jonah. Let me ask you a question. Are you hard-headed? And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. You know, I'm hard-headed. And, you know, a lot of times we think about resilience. We think about that ability to bounce back to get our momentum going again, to get up on our feet, dust ourselves off, and move on in life. And we think about resilience, but sometimes resilience is a cover for being hard-headed. Nobody can tell us anything. The Bible calls it stiff-necked. We bow up our neck. We're stiff-necked. We're unteachable. We're unleadable. We're, we, uh, um, we're resilient, but it's resilience that's gone wrong. God has a way of breaking us. A.W. Tozer said, I doubt God will use a man greatly or a woman greatly until, listen, until he breaks them deeply. Have you ever been broken of that hard head that you have? 
You know, it comes in life, doesn't it? So look at Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he boarded the ship and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship was threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each began to cry out to his own God. They threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below where, they, where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him said, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? Where, or what is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew. And I worship the God, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. They asked Jonah, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up. Throw me overboard. Throw me into the sea. He replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O oh Lord, have done as you pleased. And they took Jonah. They threw him over the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you. We give you all the glory. Lord, we pray that you'll open up your word to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. The Bible says, the, and we were talking about this Wednesday night, out of all the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, uh, from Daniel to Malachi, this is the only book 
that deals more with the prophet than it does the message. So it's important. Now the Bible says that God tells Jonah, he says, Jonah, this is what I want you to do. And I think he said, Jonah, look at me closely. Jonah, I, I need your undivided attention. Jonah, what I want you to do is I want you to go to the people of Nineveh and I want you to preach to them. And Jonah, the, the subject's going to be difficult. I want you to preach to them the judgment is coming. And Jonah does what we all do. You ever, you ever had God ask you to do something that you didn't want to do? I have. There have been times in my life that God's called me to do something. I knew what God's will was. I knew His direction. But the reality is, is I just simply did not want to do God's will. So I made the decision that I would do the very opposite of what God was asking. God said to Jonah, he said, Jonah, I tell you what. Now, it's almost like he's talking to a toddler. Jonah, look at me. Jonah, Jonah, look at me. I want you to go to Nineveh. And Nineveh's the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And Nineveh's been in power for 200 years. And Nineveh, Jonah, understand this, is your arch enemy. Let me explain who the Assyrians are. They have ruled for 200 years thereabout. They precede the Babylonian Empire. They did what the Nazis did. You've heard me say that the Nazis would take Jewish people and take their skin off their bodies and treat it like it was cowhide and many times a Nazi officer was known by having a wallet that had been made by Jewish children's skin. Nazi officers would take the skin of the Jews and they would use it as lampshades in their, in their offices and in their homes. The Assyrians did the same. They ripped open Jewish women, they pulled the baby, killed both mother and child. They stripped the skin of the Jewish people and, and, and treated it and used it in much the same way as the Nazis. They were some of the most wicked people to ever rule the land. They were unbelievable. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go to your enemy, the Ninevites, the Ninevites, I want you to go to the Assyrians and I want you to preach. And Jonah said, absolutely not. God was asking Jonah to go 500 miles this way. And Jonah said, I'm not going to go 500 miles this way. I'm going to go 2,500 miles that way. And the Bible said that he was running from the Lord. Uh, it makes it very clear here. And so in verse 3, look at it. But Jonah ran away from who? He ran away from the Lord. He headed for Tarshish. Tarshish was southern France or Spain. Tarshish was the very edge of what man knew. You, you remember Columbus, when he sailed out across, the idea of the earth being flat. I hear now that's gaining momentum again, that the earth is flat. And so the idea there was he went as far as he could away from God. And he's running in the opposite direction, 2,500 miles away. 
Now, let me tell you something. Did you notice what happens here? He's running away from the Lord. He goes down to the city of Joppa, and he buys his ticket. And let me tell you, he buys his ticket. They just happen to have a ticket. The, the ship just happens to be going in the 180 opposite direction of God's will. Everything is working out. Let me ask you something. Do you and I sometimes make the mistake of thinking because a door is open that God wants us to go through it? Let me tell you, let me, let me remind you, and I've told you before, God is not the only one that can open a door. Did you hear me, young people? God is not the only one that can open a door. Your enemy, Satan, has the ability to open all kinds of doors. Do you remember in Luke chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, when Jesus is being tempted by Satan? And Satan, you remember, he, 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 tricks, he, he basically tries to tempt him with loaves of bread, stone, turn the stones into bread. He's been 40 days without food. And then the Bible says that Jesus is taken to a high mountain, and in a moment he's seen, he's seen all the kingdoms of the world. And, and God... And, and Satan says to Jesus, he says, if you'll bow down, all these things I'll give you. And they're mine to give. Satan can open all kinds of doors. Satan can give you all kinds of blessings. But my friend, Satan loves nothing better than for you and I to be outside the will of God. Satan, op he opens the doors. He goes down to Joppa, he goes to the ticket office, he gets his ticket, he goes to the ship, the ship's going in the opposite direction of where God's told him to go. He's going to the farthest extent of, of, of civilization at that time, Tarshish, and everything seems to be working out just fine. There's only one problem. He's out of the will of God. So look at verse 4, look at what God does. What does God do? God sends a storm. And, and, and basically I said this. This, hey, listen, this is Jonah. Jonah. Jonah's just tickled pink. Everything's working out. He's going, he's leaving. Uh, he, he's leaving port, the port of Joppa. He's going in the opposite direction. He's going as far away as he can get from God. Everything seems to be working out. And boy, it's smooth sailing from here, here on. But guess what? Up in heaven... Up in heaven, God is doing this. And this is literally in the Hebrew. God is churning up a storm. It literally means this. God is churning up a storm like a javelin in a warrior's hand. And God sees Jonah, and God does this. And immediately the storm wraps around that ship, and all of a sudden it's just being tipped and moved violently in every single direction. And in that moment, God is saying, Jonah, I'm trying to turn you around. Is God trying to turn you around right now? Are you outside the will of God or are you saying no to God? Do you know what God's will, His purpose, and His plan is for your life? But you're telling God, no, you don't want to do it. And you're running from God. You're running the opposite direction. And all God's doing is God is doing this. He's churning up a storm. And like a javelin, He's throwing it straight toward your life and everybody around you. Did you notice that Jonah doesn't go through the storm by himself? He's got an entire ship 
that he's endangering. Listen, everybody listen. When you get outside the will of God and you live in disobedience to God, you're not the only one that will go through a storm. You're going to carry all the people who love you. They're going to go with you through it. If you're a parent, you're going to carry your kids through it. If you're a husband and you're out of the will of God, you'll carry your wife through it. If you're a wife living in disobedience, you'll carry your husband through it. If you're a child and you're living in rebellion, you'll carry your parents through it. You don't go through a storm running from God by yourself. And God's whipping up that storm and he throws it, slings it. And the Bible says in verse 5, it said all the sailors were afraid. They began to what? What did they begin to do? <laughs> These old hardened sailors, they were all dropping down on their knees and they're crying out to their God, whatever their idol, whatever their God might be. In that moment, they were afraid. In fact, they're so afraid, they start throwing the cargo overboard. They're getting rid of everything. They're saying, man, we've got to somehow survive this storm. And the very reason they were at sea was to get the cargo from one location to another. But now the storm is threatening the very, their very existence. Everybody listen. When you get outside the will of God, listen. I want you to listen. You don't hear anything else. Hear this. If you are his child, he will stop you no matter how strong you think you are. I want you to hear me. Because let me tell you what happens. These seasoned sailors are in a storm, and you know what they do? They're down here in the middle of this absolute hell that is all around them, and all of a sudden, these seasoned sailors, they're looking up, and they're screaming toward their gods, toward their idols, and they're crying out for mercy because, listen, they recognize that this storm is like no other storm they've ever been in before. Have you ever been in a place in your life that you were going through a difficulty, a problem, and the reality is as you were going through it, you looked around and you thought, this is not normal. This is an unusual storm. And in that moment, you realize, hey, wait a minute, maybe I need to stop and ask myself the question, is God doing something that I need to see right now? Because let me tell you what God will do. When you're out of his will, he'll send a storm. If you continue belligerent, stiff-necked, hard-headed, you can't be taught, you won't listen, young people listen to this, you know what God will do? God will break you. He'll do whatever he has to do. You're his child. You know what he'll do? He'll just whip up storm after storm after storm and firing them in the Hebrew language like javelins. And all the while they're getting more intense. Why? Because he's going to stop you. Everybody listen. You know what the sin unto death is? It's when you and I backslide to the degree that God finally looks and says, just come on home. God will take you out. I was telling, uh, I don't know if it was last Wednesday, but I was watching the ESPN uh, special on Reggie White. Reggie White is considered to be one of the greatest defensive players of all time, Hall of Famer. He died um, in his 40s. Reggie White was just the epitome of what a Christian does. You think Tim, Reggie White was Tim Tebow on steroids. Ray Lewis preached 36 minutes at the Hall of Fame 
And, and Peyton Manning said, Ray, when Peyton Manning got his Hall of Fame, when he, when he finally was inducted into the Hall of Fame, he turned and looked at the lineman, Ray Lewis, and he said, Ray, you ruined it for us all because Ray Lewis preached for 36 minutes the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even greater than that was Reggie White. Reggie White was this strong, unapologetic, preached the Bible, talked straight. I mean, he was an NFL superstar for Philadelphia and for Green Bay. He was an unbelievable athlete. Many have said he's one of the top four NFL defensive players of all time. After he retired, he went to Israel. And after he retired, he went to Israel and he began to study the Hebrew language. And he was under the tutoring of a Hebrew, I believe, someone who was in Judaism. He was not a Christian. He was a, he was a Jew. He wasn't a Messianic Jew. And over time, and if you're a man of God, you get the, you, you're just sitting there listening the, to this, and all of a sudden in Reggie White's voice, you no longer heard the name Jesus. And I kept getting sicker and sicker. Reggie White, one day they found him dead. He died of a massive heart attack by his bedside. On his tombstone are signs, um, signs of, of, of Judaism. There's no cross, there's no reference to Jesus. I didn't sleep that night, and I, was, I, I literally was sick in my stomach. And I looked at Sheila the next day. I said, that documentary just broke my heart. I said, because for the first time I was looking and watching a man that I believed had denounced his faith in Jesus Christ and had turned away saying that he had been, he had been deceived. And, I, and Sheila said, do you think he's saved? I said, Sheila, if he was, God in his mercy and grace said, Reggie, just come on home. Just come on. Reggie got up by his bed, collapsed and died of a massive heart attack. Everybody listen. God will send a storm. He'll send a storm. He'll send a storm. And finally God just says, just come on home. Adrian Rogers said it this way. He said, it's like you're looking at a child. You're on your way to a birthday party and you look back there at your little boy and you know he's kind of mischievous. He's a, he's a little bit of a problem. And you turn around, you look at him and you say, now, Ben, let me tell you now, when we get to this party, I want you to behave. You listening, son? You, you understand? Now, if you don't behave and you don't act right, we're going home. Now, I don't want you messing with the cake. I don't want you pulling girls' hair. I don't want you to do this. I want you to be nice. I want you to be a good boy. Are you going to do that, Ben? Ben does his little head like that. Get to the party. Next thing you know, you hear a girl scream, and he's over there pulling a pigtail. You look a little while later, and Ben's rubbed his finger down the cake. You pull him off. You say, Ben, I told you not to pull the girl's hair. Leave him alone. Leave the girls alone. A little while later, Ben, come over here. I told you not to, not, to, not to mess with the cake. Now, look, you've messed up the cake, Ben. You shouldn't have done that, and Ben, you were wrong. A little while later, the parent is dealing with another problem that Ben brings to the party, and finally she says, okay, Ben, let's go home. Ben throws a fit and says, I don't want to go home. And the parent says, come on, Ben, we're going home. Listen to this. You're not going to embarrass me no more. You know what God, you know what the sin unto death is? God says this. First of all, you can only backslide to a certain point. Your eternal security of the believer. 
because you're eternally secure and I am, if you live in habitual, willful disobedience, defiant, living outside the will and direction and God's purpose and plan for your life, God will send storm after storm. God will do everything. And there is that moment where God may just simply look at you and say, come on home. I'm not going to let you live like that. There's Jonah. Now, now, now watch this. While the rest of the ship is in turmoil in prayer, verse 7, you know, or, or back even, even earlier, Jonah's asleep. You know, we sang this song a moment ago. God awakened the city. God ain't going to awaken this. I know that's bad grammar. God's not going to awaken this city. We live in one of the most dangerous city in, cities in America. You can't solve this problem with law enforcement. You can't solve this problem with task force. We can, hey, listen, we can mount an army. You can't change this city until you change the hearts of men and women. You see, God doesn't awaken a city until he awakens his people. When was the last time you brought somebody to Christ? When was the last time that you shared your faith? You don't have to go off to another city, another country to share your faith. You can walk out that door, walk next door, walk down these streets. There are parts of this city that churches have ripped out, washed their hands of, and, and said, and listen, there are a lot of people in churches out in the suburbs. There are a lot of people that look at me and say, keep the problems of Jackson in Jackson. And we'll run roughshod at Pearl and Clinton and Byram and Ridgeland. We'll do whatever we can to protect the suburbs. Right? Let's face it. There's a lot of us who are Jonas. You know the reality is? We really don't want to go to the people God's calling us to. Jonah's asleep. Church is asleep. Who wakes him up? The captain of the ship. You know, I thought to myself, boy, how sad it is when the world has to wake up the church and ask us to pray. Isn't that sad? Isn't it sad when the world has to tell us we need to wake up and pray? Isn't it sad that the world has to remind us of what our great commission is, what we've been called to do? You know what Jesus said? He said, listen, he didn't say the uttermost parts of the world, Samaria, Judea. You know what he said? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other, other parts of the world. You know what Jesus was saying? The first thing you do is right there in your home, right there in your neighborhood, right there in the community. And we can all nod our heads if we want. But the reality is we've got a lot of empty chairs in this place. Let me tell you something. I've gone to 200 homes in one week. Door to door, walking, knocking on doors. Let me ask someone, when was the last time you stepped out of your house and did anything sharing your faith with somebody else? You see, the reality is we're a room full of Jonas. You see, Jonah didn't want to go. Why, this was the enemy. You know what this was like? This was like God asking a black man in this room to go to the KKK gathering, the headquarters, and preach 
But we don't want to do that, do we? In fact, the reality is in today's church in America, we want to go to people that look like us, act like us, smell like us. That's what we want. Black or white makes no difference whatsoever. Us four and no more. We like holy huddles. When was the last time you got out on the streets and you just walked? When was the last time you walked up to a total stranger, somebody walked up to a home, knocked on the door, looked at him and said, listen, I just want to, oh, these tracks will be up here forever. God knows we won't take them. They've been sitting up here forever. Why? Because the truth of the matter is, is that for many of us, we don't care whether people are dying and going to hell, do we? And when was the last time we took a track to work, a track to school, a track to a neighbor, and said, hey, listen, I, I, know, uh, I know I've never come over here, but would you mind if I give this to you? I'd like for you to read it. And if you've got any questions, you feel free to call me. Or I'll come back maybe next week and we can talk more about this. How many of us would carry it to work? How many of us would carry it where we go to school? How many of us would carry it where we live? You see, the reality is, is we've got a lot of Jonas, right? Jonah just didn't want to do what God called him to do. Hey, and listen, I'm too tired to do it by myself. And I don't feel good but I'm still trying. You see, the captain came and woke Jonah up, and Jonah said, uh, he gets up, and they begin to interrogate him. We'll close in a moment, but he, they begin to interrogate him. Who are you? Where do you come from? I'm a Jew. I worship Jehovah God. That's what he said. You know what he said? I worship the I am, the God of heaven, the God of the sea, the God of creation, the I am, Yahweh. Jehovah. And these men look at him and say, well, what do we do? I mean, they, got, they, 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 look at, they look at Jonah and say, Jonah, you're the covenant people of God. You're under the Abrahamic covenant. We've heard of your God. Your God's the one that part of the Red Sea. Your God's the one that delivered the people out of bondage over 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Your God, we, we've heard of your God, this God, Jehovah God. We've heard of your God. What are, we, what are we supposed to do? Let me tell you what Jonah did. And I want you to listen, because this is some of us in this room. We'd rather be dead than do the will of God. You know what Jonah said? Jonah said this. I love Donald Gray Barnhouse. His great scholar wrote a four-volume work on Romans. Donald Gray Barnhouse said that Jonah, this little Jewish man, looked at him when they said, what do we do? And you know what he said? He said, he gritted his teeth and he said, throw me overboard. I'd rather be dead than do the will of God. Some of you in this room, some of you that are watching, the reality is that's just about where you are right now. You'd rather be dead than do what God's called you to do. Throw me overboard. But all oh, look at the integrity of these men. You know what the Bible said? They began to row all the more. They were trying to row to land. They were trying to get him. Hey, listen, they were just trying to get him off the ship. 
And let me tell you something, there's some people in your life, they are out of the will of God, living in disobedience to God, and the best thing you can do is get them out of the house. You can't live here and live like you're living now. You're not going to sleep around, you're not going to dope, you're not going to drink. If you come into this house, you live by biblical principles. Can't stay here and live that kind of life because we're not going to enable and empower that. They were trying to get him off the boat. What integrity. And finally, the Bible says in desperation, these sailors, they just, you can just imagine, the Bible said they're crying at this point. They're afraid. And they're crying and they finally look. Can you imagine this scene? Hey, listen, why didn't he just jump? That would have made it a lot easier if he had just stood up on the boat and did a little two and a half somersault, went over into the water. Into the water. Why? Why didn't he just jump? Because he was a coward. And so these sailors grab him. You can imagine this moment, this little Jew. He may have been curled up, fighting, angry. And in this moment, in his bitterness and his anger, these big old sailors just reach up. Look like, probably like NFL football players. They just reach down there and pick him up. And I don't know if they did a one, two, three, but they pitched him out into the ocean. And immediately, the water was steep stopped and they watched this little Jewish man sinking down under the depths of the ocean and disappearing out of sight makes me think of Jesus when the disciples were on the boat you remember they were caught in a storm and one of them finally went Jesus was asleep there's two kinds of sleep listen there's the sleep of being absolutely, totally in the will of God, doing what God's called you to do. And there's a peace, there's a sleep, there's a contentment, there's a calmness. That was Jesus in the storm. He's just curled. He, he was doing, he was, he, he, this is what he was doing. He was at the back of the boat with his head on the cold, cold up rope while the storm was going. Jonah was asleep, but he was asleep in defiant, willful, rebellious disobedience. And they have to wake him up. Throw him overboard, sea comes down. I thought about this scene with Jesus when the Bible said that he stood up and he spoke to the wind and the waves and immediately they became still, quiet. In that moment. Well, We'll stop there. But I love what happens next. Because it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter what you're going through, it doesn't matter how far you're sinking down. You can always look up. You can always look up. 
Doesn't matter how much you're out of the will of God, how much you're living in defiant disobedience to the Lord. Doesn't matter what's in the background, no matter what baggage you have, no matter what you've done, what criminal act you've carried out. Alcohol, drugs, sexual promiscuity, pornography, it doesn't matter what it is, all you've got to do, the Bible says is repent. That just means simply this, I'm turning around looking up. And in that moment is the grace, the mercy, the goodness, compassion of God that says, God says this, I love you. It's waiting on you. And the journey begins now. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we thank you for a simple four-chapter book in the Old Testament that, dear Lord, reminds all of us of our own fallenness, our own sinfulness. Lord, today I've not preached with notes. I've, I've just This sermon's different from what I normally do. But Lord, in some way, even as we sang that, those words a moment ago, God, waken, awaken the city. God, you can't awaken the city until you waken, up, awaken the church. The only way cities turn around, communities and neighborhoods turn around, is when God's people become the salt, the light, and the yeast. We, we get out. We take that gospel. We take that good news. We are the salt, light, and yeast where we work. Uh, it's where we uh, go to school. It's where we live in our communities, in our neighborhoods. We are the salt, light, and yeast. We are affecting. We're a change agent within that community. The tragedy is so often is that we we become too much like the world that the world doesn't even notice us anymore. So Lord, I pray today for every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room that God, you would speak to their heart even, even now. That God, if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, there's someone right now that has never given their life to you, that today they would be saved. That they would repent of their sin and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. That's what Jonah will do. Jonah from the belly of a fish, provided by God, will come to the point of repentance and brokenness and cry out to God from the deep, dark recesses of not only the ocean, but a fish's belly. So Lord, wherever somebody may be right now, if you're speaking to their heart, may they repent of their sin and put their faith and their trust in you. And this day begin the journey of being a Christian. For others in this room, maybe it's a point of repentance. They've been running from the Lord. They've been living in disobedience. They have gotten caught up in some old sin habits that have once again taken over and, and in many ways have pulled them away from you, Lord, and you're calling them back. And so, Lord, maybe today is a point of repentance. Whatever you're calling men and women, boys and girls to do, may they do that today. And, Lord, may everything be for your glory and honor. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If God's spoken to your heart, you come. I'm here at the front. The altar's open. Sheila's here. She'll pray with you. Whatever that need is, you come. May never be a moment like this moment. You come.